<laughs> Welcome to Daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kim Lan. And you hear my voice? Yes. Do you hear this? Yes. What do you think's wrong with me? That's that's tired. That's stressed. That's uh, that's uh, worn out. That's not enough sleep and too much work. Well, okay. So you're sort of right, mm -hmm. but it's so I was. Well, first of all, good morning to everybody. It's about time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just sat down and Lou goes, you're in a mood today. I said, how do you know? You said you're an empath. Whatever. At least somebody in my life is. I can read that kind of energy. Uh -oh. read it. So this weekend was fantastic, but my voice is reflective of the weekend and it's Wednesday. Yeah. So as you know, I went last weekend to work. This is what comes from work. Yeah. So I went for probably one of the most spectacular athletic uh, endeavors that I've ever been involved in, in a collective whole weekend. Wow. It was amazing. And this voice is the result of being in Montana two weeks ago, coming back, recovering from that just because of the shift and yeah. weather, and then going away this weekend and having to scream for the better part of two days to get heard over engines of, of rally cars and yeah. drift cars and planes and boats and people yelling. And uh, so, although I am tired, my voice is more indicative of the screaming <laughs> that was taking place. <clears throat> so I'm having projection issues. So I'm going to talk very deeply and sexy. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> you have any tea or anything? You got to take care of your voice. I I've had it's yesterday got a little bit better, but it's humid here today, really bad, yep. and the pollen's up again. Oh, so I'm yeah. having a little combo issue going on of probably the flight. And if I have one more person say maybe it's COVID, it's not COVID. <laughs> it's not COVID. <laughs> anyway, um, but I'm going to talk to you today about like I'm not really in the mood. I'm just like you know, let's go. I'm you know got to talk about no you're things. a little you're a little you got a little thing going on i got a little thing going on sure yeah what what do you think my little thing is besides this just yeah i think you just have a lot on your plate you're just trying to get through it exactly it, it's you're on task i'm on task and it's really hot in here today by the way <laughs> see i don't this is a problem for me i'm challenged in this area you're challenged in the temperature area i have a very wide tolerance of Move your cell phone away from the mic for, for the cell please. Don't uh, yell at me. I'm not yelling at you. I have a very wide tolerance of temperature, apparently, because people are always complaining about temperature and stuff like that. And they're like, I don't know. It's okay. Okay. Well, maybe it's just because I was worked up because when I came in, I was verklempt when I came in because the bathroom that needs to be utilized before on-air talent goes on air was being utilized at the top of the hour, essentially. Well, it's you know. you know how many shows over the course of my career that I've spent segments railing about this very point? <laughs> I am the only person, point, but nonetheless, I'm the only person up here. And this is the only thing that's going on up here with people. There is no reason anybody from anyone else in the organization should be in this bathroom. Well, I'm just, no, I know why psychologically is because people don't want to go to the bathroom down in the main area because if they do, everyone can smell it. So instead they come up here and do it right before I have to use the bathroom so that I die. <laughs> How's that for psychological right up frontness today? I have the whole floor to myself. I should have the bathroom to I, myself. I should have the bathroom. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? Um, anyway, so I want to talk about lots of things today. One, I need everyone to make sure that you put up the link for my New England Patriots oh. Foundation because that is number one on my head today because I am 
raising money. I have to raise $10,000 to run the Boston Marathon for charity teams for New England Patriots Foundation. You don't have to like the New England Patriots. You don't have to like the Kraft family. You don't have to like any of that. You have to like giving to lots of really good organizations that support veterans and women and children and animals. Who doesn't like the Kraft family and the Patriots? Lots of people. (laughs) Um, But you have to like me. That's a plus. And um, right now, anything that you give is completely wonderfully appreciated. I'm also doing, if you give $100, you can get a square. And it will be um, for next week's game on the 25th. um, So that that game is going to be the um, outcome winner of the final score will be a giveaway of two tickets to the Patriots Bucks game on the 3rd of October. And, And you have to do your square, Lou. Yeah. I'm going to. Okay. Well, I'm gonna. We'll we'll talk about it after this show. Oh, geez, here it comes. There's no negotiating. It's still. I'm not negotiating. Okay. And you got to get all your friends to do it. But it's for a super incredibly important charity, and it's also a charity help for me because it helps me run because I choose to run for charity and help give back, which is one of the things I love doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and this year, I told you last week or week before, such great charities, amazing charities this year. Yeah. I mean, they always are, but just. People have really come out of the woodwork in the past two years from the pandemic and come up with some great ways to help people that I hadn't really seen before. And just the enormity of outpouring of love and support and money and goods and services and helping people do jobs when there weren't any. And, you know, it's just awesome stuff. So um, please, please, please go to my link. And even if you can only do $10, everything counts towards it and will help me. So I appreciate that. That's why you should like the craft family. Well, Yes. The craft. So, despite people not liking maybe Robert because of whatever his sexual things were, or you know, people I hear all the different stories, or whatever he does or doesn't do, the man is amazing. I've met him many times over the years. <clears throat> I wouldn't say we're like friends or anything, but we're acquaintance to know because I run for the foundation. But um, he's an amazing man, and Myra, his wife, was just one of the most philanthropic, loving, giving. I mean, you never hear anyone say anything bad about them in terms of what they'll give and do. And mm-hmm. they're not stingy. And, you know, people, it's just because, you know, Tom and Bill and Rob and, you know, the franchise. Yeah. Grow I'm up. like Italian. Do you see my hands? <laughs> yes. I'm trying to compensate for my voice. Grow up. Bob Kraft is a good man. Kraft an family has done man. a lot of great things for this he, community. Exactly. And and I love him. So and people can not like that, but I love him. So, and his sons, like just salt of the earth and like, you know, so when you get to be with the Craft Foundation and do the, you know, the um, doing the Patriots Foundation and do all that stuff, and then as I do some work on the side with, you know, what I do, um, they're just such a great organization. So I can't speak highly or more highly of them. Okay, there's a clickable link in oh. the comments. So clickable people- link in the comments. And by the way, from last week to this week, I raised twenty five hundred dollars. Nice. So I've only got seventy five hundred dollars left to go, and I really need to hit that before next. Saturday afternoon. Wow. So um, I need 75 people essentially to either do $100 or, you know, 10 people to do. <laughs> so um, anything that anybody can do is great, though. So I appreciate it. Um, okay. Second thing is um, this weekend, talking about losing my voice. Okay. So, and this is going to segue into my topic of the day. Um, so I went for the human baton. As you know, I'm the performance readiness advisor on, mm-hmm. on the um, human baton platform I and like that so title. I, what? I hadn't heard that title before I like oh it. that's my title that's my actual official performance title. Always, readiness advisor performance readiness advisor so mm. 
and when people ask me, sometimes it's easier for me to just be like, I help all the athletes or I help produce the athletes or, but that's my official title. Um, but what I do is multiple different things. I work with the, you know, the guys in Sweden and France and Germany, and I work with the California guys on coming up with, you know, the mental health programming and the mental toughness programming and making sure that everybody who's trying to be a human baton is doing it with their physical program eric blackow writes with bjorn and everybody over in europe and then i help them with my design of all the mental um preparation and and i write and do all the inspirational motivational um getting your mind right so your body and mind match and doing the integrative medical piece etc so getting them mentally prepared to fall out of a plane or a boat or drift car right exactly we're a horse so or a horse of course of course right so so that's so that's what i do for them and so this weekend we've been planning for better part of six eight weeks um we are involved with um the veterans trust so here philanthropic work right so the Mm -hmm. veterans trust is an organization um that fred rogers uh, fred roger um down in florida um runs with a bunch of his military buddies that are all veterans and they've all come together and they have this amazing charity program that gives back and does i mean i can't another thing i can't speak highly enough of this place of this charity um but they helped in combination with us and multiple other amazing sponsors to put together an epic weekend in fort lauderdale to the point where the commission and the fort lauderdale um, mayor and like the whole city shut down a1a Wow. for us wow. and i know shut down a1a and in the back side of seabreeze avenue which was kind of a fluke because just because the rally cars got run down the road, wrong road uh, <laughs> um unintentionally shut unintentionally down. it was a it yeah. was a reroute that was not supposed to happen yeah. but nonetheless it was an accident um and then um and we got the whole the whole use of las olas park that was right there on the beach for the entire saturday wow um and uh so you know so to give you a picture and um it we flew in four batons the patriot military fire and police representative batons one each from each team Mm -hmm. and um we flew them in over the beach they had a landing zone they all got dropped out of their plane they landed in the drop zone which was one of the most beautiful things they had the i'm gonna get this wrong because i'm a little frazzled from the weekend but it was the um the veterans flying team. I can't remember what it is, but they flew in with a beautiful American flag and they came in and, you know, like they came in very hot and like amazing looking and yep. it was really cool. And then everyone else dropped in. And the way that the human baton works is where every second counts. That's our motto. So it's not necessarily about the racing itself, other than that's the taxing part on the body. It's about the transitional times in between and how long does it take you to transition? So you might've dropped in on the drop zone first, yep. but it's, how fast did you make it from that drop zone to your car? Mm-hmm. So the drop zone, the first thing is fly out of the plane. It's so <laughs> awesome. Beautiful coming over the beach. Then you run this set amount of distance and you jump in the drift car. Well, you jump, you go to the transition area, you change, then you run to the drift car and that's all timed. And that's yep. where your every second counts. You get in the drift car and then everybody gets set up and then race around Los Olos Park and you do all these amazing like 360s and you know in loud I couldn't hear for I still think I can't hear um and then you get out of the car you transition again to the to the rally car and the rally or the supercars 
this weekend we had supercars. So we had Lamborghinis and um, McLarens and Porsche and the top end Audi, like probably the 50 most beautiful cars I've ever seen in my life in one spot. They were just spectacular. And then they raced up and down A1A. And then when the four batons came back, they transitioned, had to go chain, like run back to the beach, drop into their gear for the Thundercat racing, which is the boats, the small little boats on the water. They had to do five laps come in the ocean that, um, you know, without crashing into each other and whatever, falling out of the boat or whatever. And then they come back up on the beach and run to the finish line. So all the transition times are, you know, yeah, what counts. So the military team won by, I believe, three seconds over the fire and then the police and then the um, Patriot team. So that was the veterans team. So our, yeah, I think that was the veterans team. So yep. military was. Yeah. So I think that's who won. It's awful. <laughs> I'm like, that eh, sounded right. Yeah. I know the fire was second because I was one of the timers. Each person had their own timer. I was the fire team timer. So I just remember that I, my guy was second. <laughs> so the fire team parachuted in. Yeah. Oh. Everybody parachuted in. Dead guys who knew how to parachute or we would trained tandem them. jump. We trained, trained every. Them. We tra- you know some of the guys had already done that before because they've done this you know, but we tra- everybody got training over. We were there, they've been there and they they've been working with people. Mm-hmm. We put out um, an ad a few weeks back asking people who would want to become a baton, who are willing to go through the program, blah blah blah. So was we, it a national team or did they come from one department or? So, well, the fire, so the fire team was one baton and it was a Fort Lauderdale, so it was local. So a Fort oh. Lauderdale pol- uh, police officer, Fort Lauderdale fire department person, a local veteran mm-hmm. and the, um, uh, and the Patriot um, was someone who was a veteran who had come in and it wasn't local, but was locally connected. Right. So, um, so it's one baton per team and the team is all the professionals, like the drivers of the, the drift and the, um, supercars and obviously the plane and then on the on the boats the drivers and the pilots themselves the actual drivers are all professionals mm-hmm. um so like jeff jones racing shout out to jeff jones he's amazing um drift car um can't wait to go for a ride with him i haven't <laughs> done it yet but it's going to be so much fun um because i just want to go through for like a, a donut in the middle of like a road <laughs> It'd be so much fun um, in a drift car, yeah. uh, but uh, they were there, and it's just all these professional, amazing athletes that are already at that elite level, helping people that are athletes that are really great athletes, and they want to bring their yeah. game to the next level, right? So um, it was—I can't even describe how epic it was. So the, hence my voice, <laughs> because there was a lot of yelling over to get people to listen to me. <laughs> occasionally can we see this is there... um so so well so yes um i can actually it's all being edited together so you'll be able to see it i'd actually be able to share here's part of my my sadness of my weekend i'd be able to share some video on our on my website however my phone disappeared on saturday night and much to my dismay when i went to get a new phone um it was taken it got put down on the counter when yeah. we were all out and afterwards and someone took it which is so ridiculous because why because no one can ever use a phone anymore that's not like it's locked down right so yeah. nonetheless it's probably in the ocean but nonetheless um i went to get a new phone and here it is wednesday and i have to go to apple because the brand new guy at t-mobile no offense to t-mobile um didn't really know what he was doing and he did not yeah, he just didn't know what he was doing. I lost everything. 
Oh, he didn't transfer all the stuff over. Um, he didn't transfer anything because he told me because I didn't back up to my computer, which no one ever does ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. Clearly, about he doesn't know about the iCloud, even though yeah, he kept talking about the say, iCloud. Yeah. Um, so and he used my wrong ID, blah blah blah. So anyway, if and when I get all my pictures back and all my video. I have tons to put up on our site um, and amazing. So right now people have been just piecemealing me back together um, by <laughs> sending me pictures and yeah. things. Cause I, they, they were all like, Oh no, she yeah, lost right. everything. Yeah. So basically, um, so yeah, it was a little, that, that was made me for Clemp too. I can imagine <laughs> um, my whole, she had to travel my, back without a phone. Uh, no, so I had a, so I went and spent my whole Sunday at the T-Mobile store in the Galleria mall in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, in Fort Lauderdale, yeah. Um, yeah. So I could go, that, that could be a whole show of like the disaster that was. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And so. I was going to say, I couldn't, I don't, I'm not really attached to my phone, but I don't know if I could travel without it. So I, I was fine, but I had to, I was very careful. I uploaded some of the apps that I could because I knew I could just bounce into them, but I didn't want to do anything extra because I knew I was going to be able to start all pull over it for the cloud yeah. and I don't want to double up. So um, I just had to be able to get my contacts, which all of them disappeared, except I have everything from five years prior, but nothing after five years ago because they downloaded from the wrong thing. But yep. Regardless. So once I get that back, God willing, <laughs> I will be happy to share the awesome videos that I have. And I will also eventually be able to edit when we get our edits of all of our weekend from the actual production company. I'll be able to share that as well. because It's going to be super awesome. Um, but it was so much fun. And if you'd like to become a human baton and you would like and or you'd like to have the experience of being trained and have all the the athlete programs or get um, money or swag that's free you sign up free you go to the website thb.live um, and you can become an athlete a spectator a sponsor you can do whatever you want but it's all free to become an athlete um, and there's the athlete competition that's currently going on till the end of the month for thb and he has it up on the screen you guys and that is amazing fun because um it's people from all over the world competing against each other men and women of all ages from like 14 15 on the way up you have to be 18 years old to actually win anything um but you still can compete and go up on the leaderboard um so please certainly do that if you have um any desire to see any of the videos they will be on that on our website um and they will be linked up and they are on youtube as well so once i get all those links i can share them with you but it's amazing which leads me into talking to you about um, PTSD and veterans, because the theme of the weekend for all the guys, the four batons that I talked to and Matt, and then a whole bunch of the other veterans that were there and were talking, the theme of the weekend um, for me talking to them was what I found out after spending many, many, many hours with some of them was that there was a lot of uh, trauma um, for a variety of reasons and post-traumatic stress. Um, and a lot of, you know, we've talked about post-traumatic stress, stress growth, mm -hmm. um, versus just the disorder and sitting in it. And that's kind of my distinction between you disordered and you're not moving forward versus growth and you're moving forward. So I see these guys and I'm only saying guys, cause there weren't any women competing this weekend. Yep. Um, but these guys were moving forward because they're always challenging themselves now in mental health and psych, we think of things as, these are also chasing some of the, the exhilarating risk-taking behaviors. So if I get very clinical, it's, it's both resiliency protecting, but it's also 
putting them in place to keep re repeating or recapitulating the um, exhilaration of the dopamine rush and all the things that kind of went along with the PTSD in the first place that came. Um, but it's a great way to channel and sublimate, you know, put that, that negative energy or something that's happened that's not good into something really great for themselves and giving back for themselves. Um, so one of our, one of our teams, um, one of the guys is a uh, cancer survivor. Um, and then the other guys had a variety of different stories around them. Um, but the theme that I came out with was, you know, all these guys I was around had a lot of symptoms that they were very talkative about in general terms about, you know, how this sport activity gives them um, some growth and uh, release of their anxiety uh, because of each of the pieces of it and the camaraderie. So it's like going back into the military set, but you're building a family and a bond and how important that is to relieve anxiety. Doing because, all the positive right. aspects of it without so the it's decluttering your brain, yeah. essentially, because one of the things we know and I see all the time in clients with you know trauma is that um, it's kind of like living in a hoarding house. That's how I, this yeah, is my vision yeah, on it, is that when people are in trauma, they're living in a hoarding house in their brain. There's so much clutter that the self-care aspect is very difficult because it's not, it's not the clutter, it's the attachment to the clutter. And so the disordered part comes from being attached to all the clutter in your brain. And when you can start decluttering and keep it at bay and, you know, clear your paths in your brain and get it really cleaned up as if you're cleaning up a house that's a disaster, then you're having growth because you're always kind of, not kind of, you're always moving it forward. It yep. could be a little step at a time. It could be big gains. Like this weekend for, I know two of the guys that talked to me was, they said it was life-changing. Um, the relationships that they formed and how they felt and their families even talked to me about it, like how amazing it was for them. So, um, and super proud of them because yeah. they knew it, they had awareness, they had self-insight. It was just really good for them. What percentage of military people who have seen fire mm -hmm. escape PTSD? Or is it just a matter of degrees of manage, managing and how well they're how well they're functioning with it? So I would say, so I used to know all those numbers. And then in the past 10 years, it's really moved around a lot, depending on like which agency you're looking at. I would say that the majority of people who see any kind of firefight or imminent fear of death mm -hmm. um, have some form of acute stress. And then I would say all people have acute yeah. stress and then dependent on their vulnerability, resiliency level coming in and how they've how mentally tough. Now that doesn't mean that a person's weak. It means how mentally tough, meaning how much work have they done or how much um, shoring up around the edges did they have baseline coming in? You know, did they come from, you know, a very small bubbled in area of life where no one really had anything, but, you know, um, you know, I'll use Vermont living on the farm, um, sheltered and then seeing firefight and, does that mean if you're living on the farm, you're, you're more vulnerable? Probably not because you have more like resiliency to, you know, animal stuff and accidents and all these things. Yeah. So really what's, I think sets people apart is um, the numbers are that everyone has acute clinically, in my opinion, anecdotally, everyone has acute stress. And then on the continuum, it channels into then how much PTSD comes from that over, a variety of confounding variables. And that sounds, you made a point recently about that might be correlate to the amount of attachment they have right. to the incidents. Right. And or to the memories or to the, the stress, the things that induce the stress. Right. And, and 
which goes to that kind of hoarding thing that I, yeah. I allude to, because that's, that's how I've conceptualized my concept of it for people is that when you associate the attachment to something like that, it's what are you holding on to? Why are you holding on to it? Um, you know, for a lot of the guys I've talked to over the past 20 something years, it's like define them in a lot of ways, even though it's really unhealthy and toxic for them and they know it, it defines them. It gives them a sense of purpose. De death of self. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a military. Right. And, and then they come home to normal life and they don't want to let go of being part of the military. Right. But that comes along with all the stressors and the trauma that they suffered as members. Right. And so by letting go of it in yeah. some way and detaching, then they let go of that identity, kind of like an athlete. What happens when they retire or they get injured and they have, then they've only lived their life to be that player. It's the same thing. It's like, I can't let go of it. So they're, you know, different than the athlete. The trauma person is, is more tortured. I would say like more mentally tortured yeah. just because they, um, they relive it on their own, like subconsciously, but they're also consciously actively regenerating it. So until someone gets treatment or someone does, you know, some kind of sublimating and, you know, not all people will go for treatment as we've talked about, but if there's exercise and good eating habits and sleep, I mean, that is really the best medicine and being, you know, self-aware. One of the guys this weekend I was interviewing um, with my, with my uh, partner, Tommy uh, Caprio, we were interviewing this one person and he was talking about like, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to talk about the stories. Um, you know, there is nothing wrong with being not okay. You yeah. know, it, and it was great because I think more men need to hear other men talk about that. And you couldn't get a more manly bravado looking man talking about how to really be in touch with oneself. And I think he was such a great example of, that and he just was very forthcoming about how important it is for people who have trauma not just veterans or military or fire but for people in general just be able to say it's okay not being okay and talking about it do you see differences between in the, the new the way the army is structured right now where a lot of it is you know the quote-unquote volunteer army national guard army where they have more of a dual role they are military personnel but they're also home with their families for a large period of time they see fire are they more resilient than say career military guys whose whole identity is wrapped up in their military service see that so that's hard i mean yeah i mean that's a hard distinction to make because again i mean there's i think i mean i, I could say yes on both sides because i've seen people who are career military who are solid as solid. Right. And then I've seen career military that are a hot mess, but on the present, on presentation, they look totally together, but I know they're a hot mess. Yep. And, and I, and I could say that people who live at home with their, in their shifting back and forth, same thing. Yeah. So, and I imagine that there's been studies and numbers on that. Um, but because of knowing just how people do those those experiments, I'm imagining yeah. there's got to be kind of some like split between that, like I just said anecdotally, is that that's just the feel from working for all those years with people. That it just really depends. I think the I think that I can say that the more protective factors around a person, like support, resources, community support, understanding knowledge, access to resource and knowledge, want and willingness to access resource and knowledge. Those are all protective factors for someone in either condition yep. to be more healthy versus not. So, and it's really who's activating those things. You know, you have lots of people that are reclusive in nature. Um, 
you know, I have, I have been working with a female who's a veteran, um, who was, who has PTSD. She was active in firefight. She was active on frontline and she was doing all these things. She was, but she was also sexually assaulted in the military. Mm. So she's, she's got a multitude of things yeah. going and you would never know because on presentation, she looks solid, but she's a hot mess inside. Um, and so you, you know, but she has great resources and she seeks help and it never really backs up on her. And she's super resilient because she has the resources and the understanding and the love and all the things that really are the things that make someone flourish in those harder yeah. scenarios. And you mentioned awareness. Awareness is so important. And yeah. so that when these things start to back up on her or back up on right. somebody, they know it's happening and they maybe have some techniques and some, some ways to mitigate it. Right. And, and, and one of the questions a couple of the guys were asking me this weekend was, you know, like, what was my thought on medication? So, so, you know, me and, you know, National um, Institute for Mental Health, you know, the National Mental Health Institute would also say, you know, medication sort of like the, it's, it's therapy, exercise, then medication. Um, and that was in a recent like study that was talked about, like, that's always been my motto is, you know, talk therapy, exercise together, medication, eh, you know, because what, what does medication do? It's bandaid on a heart attack. Right? Yeah, right. So if someone goes right to medication, what medication does that works with these types of things like anxiety and trauma and depression, and it masks the actual symptoms, but it doesn't do anything. It's, it's not, it's not getting rid of, it's not letting go of, it's so not you don't face the problem and process it. Right. And a lot of the medications are numbing in a way and brain foggy so that it's more like it's dulling the, the feeling physically and, but it doesn't, it's not doing anything. <clears throat> so what happens is what you're on these lifelong, essentially, we do have a couple of medications in the shoot that will sort of help take the anxiety down that you don't have to take every day. And there's some good research on um, helping like flashbacks and re-experiencing and actual getting rid of memories. But I, I know that there's better treatments in terms of psychotherapy and special training like um, the ART. Um, and of course, that acronym is exactly what it is. Now I can't read And it's not art therapy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's a, it's a response training to trauma that is only like three or four sessions long and it helps reintegrate a person's experience into the real life and real world by eliminating out, um, the other experience of what happened. Um, that works really great and you don't need medication. I've had multiple clients in the past couple of years under very, very bad traumatic experiences use that in our, within a couple months. And then in addition to having like that as a maintenance and talking to me, cause I don't do that treatment, yeah. but in addition, no medication necessary. Um, and I would say it's, I would liken it to that in the worst of all scenarios, like for trauma I've ever seen. And I've got, I've got two cases of probably that I would consider probably the worst trauma probably could be on the books of any kind. One of them I've talked to you about um, in terms of like how traumatic it was and it, it worked beautifully. No medication, hmm. no medication. So when people ask me, so the guys are asking me about medication, <clears throat> I say, if you need it, absolutely. Because it definitely softens the blow. But if you're not doing the work yeah. and you're not working on it and you're avoiding it and you're not talking about it and you're not putting it out there and really kind of coming to terms with how to integrate it into your life as 
as something that happened and needs to be compartmentalized, but acknowledge that's there, um, it's going to be haunting you all the time, all the time. Yeah. Because you're always running, you know, the scenarios, you're either running from it, you're trying, you're, you're chasing it. You're, there's yeah. all these things because you're always trying to get control over it. And one of the most common things that, that people with trauma do is that they go, they're always going back into the past, trying to undo it. And my quote to every client that has this is I, I always say, you have to let go of the hope that you can go back and change it. Yeah. Compare and contrast a little healthy processing of trauma as opposed to problematic processing of trauma, because it seems like this is an amateur opinion, so I'm kind of curious about it. Uh, it seems like people who process trauma well, it go, it starts to go down their life pile. Yes. In other words, as you go forward, you get things that are higher priority than the trauma so that you don't have to go back and relitigate it. Right. Or it's not foremost in your mind all the time. Right. And it's just the natural process of life. All of a sudden you've got kids, you're at home, you've got whatever it is, your job, whatever. And that trauma just gets lower and lower in the pile with people who aren't processing it. Why does it not get lower and lower in the pile because of the life that's in front of them? Well, okay. So, well, what you just said is because they're, I mean, they're processing it. So people that are processing it and they're, it's present that it's not being avoided. It's not being quiet or, or, you know, like it's this thing, you know, don't upset the apple cart kind of thing. People who are actively. I've got to deal with this on my own. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. They're, they're going to by and large just be healthier people have better family lives because they're upfront with themselves. People that aren't processing it whether, you know, therapy, exercise, sleep, you know, or talking to buddies or, or, you know, whatever, they're essentially running from it, bearing in hopes that it will go away. And when you do that, it's like saying, don't acknowledge the elephant in the room. Yeah. Elephants are, it, it's, it's sitting heavy on you because going, I'm here, I'm here, you know, yeah. knocking on the door. I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And it gets softer and then it doesn't. It's, it's, it, it's constantly this toggle between, I'm okay. I'm not okay. I'm not. And it's all day long. It's not like it's weeks on end with no problem. It's daily because the person is trying to compartmentalize it and compensate for what they're not dealing with versus compartmentalize, integrate and deal with it. Yeah. And there's a, so processing healthy, you don't have, you don't have to go see a psychologist necessarily, but you got to find a resource. Yeah. Where's your resource? You know, do you find a group? Do you find um, a friend that you can talk to about it? I mean, certainly that's not the same as therapy, but resourcing in the community. Do you join an online chat? I can't tell you how many people I've like put into like LinkedIn groups that are specifically, you know, sex, sex assault survivors, natural disaster survivors, uh, trauma for, you know, women and veterans and trauma for men. And there's every kind of possible online thing if you're not one to go out in the world. Because a lot of people are like, I'm not doing a group because right. nobody wants to put their garbage out in the world. Yeah. Um, because they're embarrassed, they feel it's they're the only ones, people judge them, I'm weak. So you're fighting that piece all the time, which also gets in the way of someone processing healthy versus someone that's you know, like the guy I was talking about this weekend that was right up front and said, I'm right up front with it. You know, I'm going to tell you about it. There's nothing wrong with not being okay. And tough as got like. But that's the difference we talked about last week. Yep. Where the difference between dealing with it in the context of today mm -hmm. or time traveling. Mm -hmm. And I'm guessing the people who struggle with it, time travel, they're right back in it. Still trying to affect the outcome. Yes. Right? I'm trying to undo it. Yeah. By ruminating over and over and over again, it's the illusion and delusion of control. 
if I play it out, play it out, play it out, eventually it will get better. But if you do it from the context of today and you understand that it's beyond your reach. Right. And you're just, you know, it's more awareness and dealing with it. Right. That's probably a better way to go about it, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's and that concept that you just said is is very hard to wrap. You know, a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their head around that because again goes back to the beginning of the conversation of by letting it go, somehow there's a loss of self in that. There's a but that's it's defining me in some way. It's, it's giving me something. We called it time travel. Is that physiological response? In other yeah. words, you you remember the incident, you're thinking about the incident, and you go into fight or flight immediately, yes. as opposed to sitting in a room talking with somebody about it and you recognize it happened and talk about it, but you don't engage in that fight or flight. You understand the context that you're in a room talking about it as opposed to being there. So when you're in a room talking about it, right? So remember the story I told you yeah. about the guy with the helicopter and it flew in, right? Yep. So we associate it. So he went into fight or flight clearly, right. right? We were all under the table and it was like, Oh my God. So, so he wasn't looking at that helicopter, the context of the moment of the he moment was looking at as the context of the of past. Being in Vietnam. Yeah. So instead of, so what we did is we were in, in order for it to quell and calm down, we worked over the next year on grounding techniques so that when he heard a helicopter, when he heard sounds like the ammo dump that he worked in and all these things, that he could stay present so that he would know one to identify that these two things came and could work together. And you said physiological response. Yes. Yeah, so when someone doesn't have the skills and the tools in the moment to be in the moment, because that's not something maybe they ever needed. And all of a sudden now they do because they have trauma. What happens in the body is there's, we have a polyvagal system and the po poly multiple system, mm -hmm. right? The vagal nerve is our regulator for emotional regulation that runs from our brain to our gut. And it's constantly talking and it's lighting up our amygdala, our limbic system, our emotional center. It's telling our body how to respond to the threat. Exactly. Yeah. So it's lighting up our memory center, the hippocampus, our flight or fight, which is your amygdala and your hypothalamus, which is regulating all your systems for like tension and temperature and sweat and every adrenaline, adrenaline, yeah. all of that's going because the polyvagal immediately upon hearing the helicopter or, or seeing something that looks like that, it goes, whoop. And then if the person doesn't even realize that they're doing that, they just go right into full, um, they jump in yeah, because that's what they know. They go into the response that they knew when they were in the jungle or they were in the oil field or they were in, you know, yeah. the back alley. So until someone realizes that they can control, I use that word loosely, they can have better management of that and they can actually make an impact on whether or not they check out or dissociate. or They can rein that in. They can rein it in. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that they won't still have anxiety, but what it means is that anxiety isn't ruling them. They're taking charge of it. So it's not owning them. And we understand how this works in a positive way. You get a, you get cinnamon cookies, it brings you back to Christmas. So you hear something that your mother said, and it brings you back to that moment. Mm -hmm. This happens to us all the time all the because time. there's a lot of, a lot of strong associations between memory and smells and sounds and, right, and exactly. things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But so, a lot that, of us when have you talk the, about the cookies, right? Yeah. The cookies are a grounding technique. It's like when we use when we use a technique, like I'll say, Lou, think of your favorite smell that reminds you of your holiday. Mm -hmm. That's going to be your grounding moment now so oh, that you stay in a good mood, right? Yeah. So that's easy, right? It's like if I say start thinking about a lemon, right? Start thinking about what happens when you put the lemon in your mouth. As soon as you start saying that, 
most human beings will start having a saliva response because of what I'm talking about. Right. The, the whole body starts to regulate around that image that's associating into the structures of the brain I just talked about. So those are all grounding techniques to kind of bring you focused into the moment. When a person's in their trauma and you try to bring them in and you associate, like you're not going to say, now think of the helicopter coming in and landing and having people jump out and have guns. But that's what the person's doing. They're doing the same thing that we did with the cookie example, right. but they're doing it to themselves with the other experience over and over again. So what we have to do is replace that with right now you have this incident in your head, but right now in this room, the chair, feel the chair. What does the chair feel like? What is what do you hear in the room? What do you see yeah. in the room? So you're grounding to the moment so that someone knows that they have a resource in their in their purview. Because if not, people just jump into their trauma. And that's incredibly powerful work oh. because I, I, with athletes, I know uh, there has been a lot of talk over the years that you can actually practice technique in your mind. Right. And it it serves as practice. It's right. obviously not the same as physically doing it. Right. But memory response and, and muscle response and, and being in the moment can be as effective as practice in many cases. Yes. Well, rehearsing it over and over and yeah. over. So in gymnastics, we spend, I can't tell you how many times I must have gone over routines mentally practicing. And that's one of the things that I do. I actually make a video for gymnasts of themselves doing a meet and a routine, have them watch it right before, like the most perfect one we can find. We, we tape it, we get it set up, we cue it up and I have them replay it over and over so that they have that in their head. Cause that's just as valuable yep. as the skill. Cause the skill already comes cause motor memory, but the mirror neurons for the emotional memory of how it feels. And like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you see people like going through the motions and the, yeah. it's because their body knows how to do that and can actually reprocess it so that they can just go up and it's like the most perfect combination of how to really get your best performance or your best feeling in the moment or whatever it is in that moment but the athlete example is is a great example of that and engaging that automated response the is the mental prep is important because that's what happens in the event right you, you give up the the logical thinking practical aspect of it and you get get a Give it over to your bod bodily right. response. Right. So activating that and getting in tune is is really helpful for you. Exactly. Simone exactly. Bio talking about you're in the middle of a flip. You're not thinking in the middle of a flip. No. You're responding. Right. And yeah. what happens like in the, in the middle of the flip, like the, and she got the twisties, right? And she and she lost her space. That's because her brain actually started thinking. Yeah. So she introduced thought into it. She introduced and, yeah. thought into it, yeah. which typically wouldn't happen when you're in it when as an experienced gymnast that doesn't happen until after it's over yeah and it, when it happens it's the most bizarre feeling that i can't even describe because it's like you be, you're 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 almost like present but you're it's so bizarre yeah because you're in the middle of it and then all of a sudden you're like oh i'm out of it and then you don't know where your body is and it's um you know and so that's dissociation in some ways for people to understand it from an anxiety level. It's you feel like you're outside of your body. You feel like you just detached. You feel like, and that happens to and most people have that. Most people don't know how to describe that or know what that is, but it's the, it's the release from yourself to the outside world to be like, Oh, I'm not present for myself here. Um, and so going back to when you're talking about healthy versus unhealthy and how people process it, one of the worst things that people with trauma can do for processing and people, and this is one of the reasons why so many mainstream general people without like, you know, I'm talking about big traumas, but people who come up in families that are abusive or, or 
alcohol, going to alcohol when you have yeah. trauma and you've had emotional abuse as a kid coming up through and using alcohol as your resource that actually um, uh, ingrains the neurological symptoms of the trauma uh, to become so helpless that they rely and then on the alcohol or whatever drug or, but we'll use alcohol for this because it, it reinforces it. And it actually, it's like they're reliving the experience of the childhood trauma until they can't, until they pass out. And then the next day it's like, so here's addiction. Right. And, and it's the way that it resolidifies that. So on if a subconscious you, level, if you introduce alcohol into that equation, yep. it doesn't help. It, it, it wears the path. Right. Deeper. Interesting. Right. And people think, you know, how many times have you heard in, you know, we all know people, but in clinical terms, like people say, oh, it makes me feel better. No, it doesn't. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Because what I, happens, you might get an initial response right. where you get a distraction. Right. But that lessens and, and actually makes things worse as you go along. Well, in PTSD, for instance, is an anxiety based disorder. Right. So the more you drink, the more anxiety you get because because alcohol is an anxiety producer. And even though people are like, oh, it makes me feel relaxed. Yeah. The first couple. Yeah. But after you're at your limit and you go over the bridge, then the anxiety now has nothing to manage itself with because the alcohol is taken mm -hmm. away from it and it's depressing you. Yeah. So all the sad things that happen, you know, if you think about it this way, all the sad things that happened as a child, you know, say you lived in a household with an alcoholic and, you know, dad comes home and he disappoints. He doesn't show up your ball games. He's yep. abusive verbally. He's not nice. He's always like blaming you, you know, whatever. By the time you're a teenager and adult, you're la you're lashing out at yourself because you're so used to that abuse cycle that what does alcohol do? It puts you back into the abuse cycle for right. yourself because it puts you right back into it without even realizing it. Instead of your father doing it, you're doing you're it. doing it to yourself, yeah. right? And then so you, you replace that with you know oxy perks, like and people, whatever the thing is, you know. And the only one that I would say that's a minor buffer and we have better research on it and I see it work sometimes I'm still on the fence because I see a lot of people still use it and have issues marijuana works for some people with trauma but I just still see over and over again over the past 25 years that even with medical marijuana I still see the anxiety come up because inevitably it just creates more anxiety for people um but even at the ideal of these things these distractions, right. the distractions are supposed to pull you from it, even if it worked that way and it doesn't, it makes things work. Mm -hmm. But even if it worked that way, you never turn and process it. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, because, um, so, so it's interesting that we're getting into that, but so there's, there's lots of research being done right now. And I don't know if you've seen it, but on the like MDMA therapy and ketamine and, um, ayahuasca, you know, all the, all the sort of, hallucinogenic medication, you know, micro dosing of mushrooms. Yeah. So there's a lot of clinical studies being done for people with anxiety and traumas on how that releases the brain from the trauma and gets you to really process it because that's what, you know, it's kind of like it opens up the brain, opens up the neurological stuff. Now I can anecdotally say that I have a couple of clients that have done that and they have, they, you know, it, Massachusetts is like the Mecca for like all this stuff. So they, they, there's, practitioners that are like the integration of hallucinogens and, and treatment. Yeah. Right. And they're yeah. doing it. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen very mixed results. I've seen people who are very disappointed because, you know, everyone looks for the aha quick fix. Yeah. Um, then I've seen people who sort of satisfied with it. But what happens, what I, I have a couple clients that have done ayahuasca a few times 
a year. And what I'm seeing is that it opens up their mind for a day or two, but then it's like they come back down and when they back down, like it, it only lasts a few hours, but like they're on a high emotionally for a couple of days, but right. then they go right back to what I call having the demons and the demons are still there. Why? Because they're not actively working on them. Their whole, it doesn't clear. There's no memory eraser. There's no right. reset. You have to do that yourself. You have to, you know, get inside your own head and have some compassion for yourself especially like kids who are now adults that grew up in traumatic environments, you have to really look at your life and say, you know, I was innocent. I didn't deserve that. I didn't, I didn't ask for that. Um, That's the difference between exercising your demons to continue the analogy right. and living with them. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, they're there, they exist. You can't go back and change them. You just have to find a, a way to manage a way to live with them. Yeah. Well, and adjust around them. That's why I like the AA concept of like live life on life's terms. You know, AA is notorious for having all these really great cliches, but when you actually peel them all away and you really look at them, they're actually really good. Huh. Living life on cliches life is the cliches for a reason. Right. And, yeah. and you know, people kind of colloquially will throw them out there, but they're actually really spot on. You know, to be able to say someone live life on life's terms, that's hard for people you know, that are, that have these issues. This gets us back to an earlier discussion of internal or external, right? Trying to change things that you can't change. You cannot change the past. Right. And all the effort you put into trying to change the past is, is just going to tax you in the long run. It's right. going to cost you in the long run. Exactly. Yeah. And the, and the, and, and people think it's harder to look at it and move forward than, than it is to not look at it. Like they, people would rather sit in there eh, than move forward, you know, dance with the devil that you know, or dance the devil you don't know. And you people, know what? We're on to Cincinnati is very freeing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. But people, but again, it goes back to the top of the hour of it's people hold on to what they know. People hold because there's such a piece of their identity. I mean, imagine a child who grows up in an alcoholic home who's now a um, you know, adult child of an alcoholic home. Yep. Um, that's their whole identity to let go of that and to really move on to Cincinnati now. That's scary for people. It's like people in a hoarding house. That's why I use that example. Yeah. Because that's accepting responsibility. They can always pass off responsibility for their outcomes on right. their upbringing. Well, in yeah, the because past. I had a hard life. Yeah. I don't feel good. I was no one loved me. It's it's the minimization of what one's own accountability is for per, for now. Um, people who are in active addiction and around trauma who aren't getting better you'll hear this, the narrative is very commonly it's, um, but I can't because my dad didn't love me or yeah. because it's, it's no, but you can, and your dad doesn't have to love you to love yourself and have other people love you. You don't need your dad. Your dad was just your dad. Yeah. Your dad was, you know, he biologically gave contribution to you and you don't have to like him. You don't have to be around him. You don't have to love him even. And, and he doesn't go, have oh, to affect God. your future. Right. Yeah. And well, and, and I think that, I've had many clients over the years like the fact that I've said, you don't have, just because a person gives you birth or gives you parental right to them, yep. doesn't mean they have rights over you to like hold you hostage for life. Right. Um, and you'll find a lot of people who have addiction issues with the trauma. Well, usually there's some kind of trauma in an addict, almost I can't, all addicts. I'm going to throw it out there. All addicts have trauma, yep. emotional, there's something there. And then they have the dual diagnosis of depression, anxiety, and the alcohol or the drug or whatever is only the symptom of the problem. That's how they're using to cope. So 
when you look at someone like that and you hear their storyline when they're active or when they're sober, but not in recovery, you know, the difference, right? Recovery is really processing. Sober is just not using. You see the difference in how they really work on their trauma and, uh, and release themselves from the connection to that time, that thing, that person, those persons or whatever it is, because they don't need it. They know it. And they're actively channeling and attaching to a healthier thing, which goes back to that decluttering. They're decluttering yeah. their lives to be able to put something attachment wise that's healthy and connected versus the disconnect. It's interesting because for me, the big thing in my life was parenting. Mm -hmm. And just doing the reverse of being aware of all the things about my upbringing that I didn't want to, I didn't want to put my kids through. Right. And being, and that's awareness too, because you start, you have to think about it, parenting, you know, it, it doesn't come naturally. You right. have to understand the ways to approach certain situations. Right. So that awareness and mechanically working in it not only helps you be a better parent, it helps you deal with what your issues better. Right. Yeah. Especially when you see the outcomes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, and, to get someone who's actively in it to see it is hard. Yeah. Cause it, you're fighting off what the person's wed to. But that's another example of what I put forward before about how the trauma gets lower in the pile. When you become yeah. a parent, hopefully, you know, mm -hmm. the children and the parenting becomes a priority and your upbringing gets lower in the pile. Right. It's like, yeah, that was that and that was that. But now I've got to I got to take care of this. Well, and by parenting in a healthier way than you feel like you were parented or doing things differently, that's a grounding technique, actually, of re of of reconnecting yourself to what you didn't have that you're filling in your own neglect. You're filling in your own voids by yeah. being a better parent than your parent was, or you're not undoing the past, but you're doing the next best thing. You're doing right. You're yeah. it, which, which gives you relief from the anxiety that creates. Yeah. Cause you know, how many people have I heard and you hear, and you've said it to me that I don't want to repeat what I had done to me. Yeah. I don't want to be that person, you know, or be saying like, Oh, Oh, I'm just like my dad. I'm just like my mom. You know, there's nothing wrong with all that because that could be something positive. But more often than not, people don't say, I don't want to. You're just like your father. That's not usually because it's a good thing. <laughs> but that that's kind of awareness, too. You can vilify your parents for whatever you think right. went wrong. And that's not, not necessarily true. You also have to have the scope of they did what they could. Right. You, you see the parents they were raised by. You see their generation, right. what they were doing day to day and you know, it's just like they did the best they could. Well, that's, and that's, that's how I, it wasn't personal. It wasn't malicious. It was, they did the best. Yeah. They in could. most cases, in most cases, not some cases. Yes. But in yeah. most cases, and I, and I tell clients this, and that's probably been something like, cause people always say, Oh, psychologists and psychiatrists always blame the parents. No, it's the way I frame it for people is, you know, I have a client that will say my, my mother didn't love me. And I say, no, she loved you, but she loved you in the only way she knew how. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't adequate enough for you which there's nothing wrong with that because you deserved more, right. but she could only do what she knew and she didn't know different. And so she lacked the capacity and that's very freeing. When but you she didn't make a decision on you and your worth and decide not to right. love you. That's not right. They were, she yeah. ran into her limits. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 parent, and oh, there's so many things about yeah. that, that, you know, that people, that people do. And but people and, blame You talk about parenting a lot and people, it always goes to parents and people roll their eyes and things like that. Right. But, but the thing is, parents can be perfect. There's still yeah. childhood trauma. Absolutely. The whole thing of growing up 
is traumatic. in a house. It's traumatic. Right. There's certain trauma that's built in. Well, yeah, because you have to learn to, you have to learn to become growth oriented because you have adversity. If you don't have adversity, then what? Because that's, you know. Well, even just taking more responsibility for yourself as you age, from, you know, right. obviously from being a baby to being a six-year-old to being a 12-year-old. Right. You're just taking more and more on, and that separation is traumatic. Exactly. Anyway, and just learning what you learn, the more awareness you, get, you gain as you go older, it's traumatic. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and there's and there's no perfect parenting. And I, and I right. you know, when I teach this to my, my graduate class, I... <laughs> And they, they're all cringing because some of them have kids and they're like, oh, my God, I've messed up my kids. <laughs> now I say, of course you did, because you're going to and they're yep. going to mess up. And it's not about not messing up. It's about what do you do when you mess up and how do you frame it? And do you apologize? And do you say, you know, I shouldn't have said that or oh, I'm going to redo that or, you know, I'm going to make that up to you. Like being upfront, you know, I mean, that's so a great many... question. How many people have apologized to the kids? Now? I've, I've apologized to my kids. Oh my God. Now when they were younger and it's so, just like, so many, yeah. Well, like, well, I think more, parents I didn't handle need, that right. I wasn't in a great mood. I'm, I'm sorry. Well, yeah. when I, when I counsel parents on like, they'll come in and say an incident happened. If they have said to me that they didn't do anything to reframe, I will show them how to reframe it. I'll say, go back and, and they'll be like, Oh, and usually their report is, Oh, that's so much better. And that's the pattern. I try to teach parents how to parent better because it relieves them from the traumas. Cause you know, I get lots of questions like how to not mess up my kids. <laughs> and so, you know, and I say, you've got to be able to say, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have yelled at you. I wasn't mad. And I say, and explain why you yelled. Yeah. Don't say I, I'm sorry. Only just say, I'm sorry. I yelled. I wasn't actually mad at you. It's not explain what really happened because 99% of the time it's not because of, but that frees up the relationship i'm like build the relationship with your child instead of being like do it because i said so yeah no no means no because i said no that's not no plus that's not helpful the basic truth of parenting is they don't listen to what you say but they watch what watch you do what you do yeah. exactly modeling is everything in parenting right and so and that's why so albert bandura the social observational learning theorist right i think he's got one of the best theories that really describes the phenomenon of how kids are sponges you they may not understand all the words but they know what they see they know how to interpret it yep. and when you're not doing the right thing or the healthy thing they pick up on that. And then if that's the pattern of what you do, that becomes their pattern. Right. And, and there's resiliency built in. I always say that when people have an emotional yummy person, you know, like my grandmother was for me, <laughs> like she always rings true. She was always the superseder to stuff I would say. And I wouldn't, I knew that active, I can go back in my head, like till I was like four or five years old and remember specific incidents in my head. I'm like, she was my resiliency yummy. I knew she was because that made up for things that I knew in my head that were like, eh, this is weird. Um, and I know that's unusual for a lot of people, but I'm a very self-aware person, even as a kid, probably because I'm an empath, right? So it's that one of those things that I'm like super aware. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that, you know, kids are super good at telling their experience. They just don't use adult words. Um, and they do it in different ways. And but, I think that you have to be acknowledging of that so that you know that, hey, you're influencing your kid. You can't be saying, you know, don't hit your brother while hitting your kids and yeah. don't do it. Yeah, ex exactly. Which, you, know. you, you talked about um, asking why you're attached to the trauma. Yeah. Asking why is just good technique yeah. all along. It's like you, you can think back to your childhood and you can think of either a friend's parent or just a person who is big in your life. Right. 
and made you feel good. Yes. And ask why. Right. Don't just accept that. That that right. person. Why did? What was that person doing that mm -hmm. that made me feel good? That, right. That that I liked being around. Why did right. I? Why did and, I attach myself to that? Person? And usually, and I can say anecdotally, but I would say one of the most common denominators of the answer that you'll get when you ask the why is that that person unconditionally loved, showed unconditional love, and validated the experience. Safety. Safety. Right. Safety. The basic premise of a zero to one year old is safety. Yes, I can say I can say something, and even if they don't agree, they won't be mad at me. They won't diminish me, me. They won't belittle me. Right. 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 They'll always be there. They I can be me, and they will like me. Right. Even when they're not. Even, even when it we conflict. Right. It's going to be okay because it's just the conflict, and we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Safety. Exactly. People love people they're safe with. Exactly. And so you'll, that's why I say there, that's the resilience protective factor is if some, if a kid has their emotional yummy person <laughs> and they, and they have that, even despite the other stuff, they will come through with a higher level of resiliency in some way to be a stronger, mentally tough, more motivated socially, academically, all those things, because they have that person. It could be a coach. It could be a friend's parent. It could be somebody. It doesn't have to be in the family even. It's just as long as they have that person. That's the basis of the most important parenting discussion, which comes in the early teens, which yep. is you're going to this place. If you feel uncomfortable, you call me mm -hmm. and I will come get you. No and questions asked. No questions asked. Until the we parent that you have, it's like, I'll tell you that. And then I don't do that, which is, I see. Well, no, I, I never put it that way. I said, we may have a discussion later, but it's going to be okay. Right. The most important thing is you come. But see, and, that's yeah. but see because you're framing the reality of we're going to have a discussion, but you're not going to be in trouble. You're not going to be right. in like there's not going to be like this terrible judgment. So that you, I'm telling you to call me, but we're going to talk about it, and you're going to be in trouble, which is what a lot of messaging is, yeah. or the quick accusation: don't do this, this, and this, but call me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, but call me if you get um, kids aren't going to call. Yeah. They're going to call someone else right? because they don't have that trust with the person. So because the tr because it's emotionally traumatizing because the mixed message is conflicting and people are like, oh, it's, you know, you have to be tougher. Right. You have to you know suck it up like no kids brains. They're forming around trust. But you can have a discussion or Absolutely. you can have a discussion at a level that's not violating that trust. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because it's you can okay. have an I care about you. This is why we're talking about this. Right. Discussion. And discussion is not. um coercion and forcing an opinion down a kid's throat it's right. let's have a discussion about like okay now today after yesterday like what happened what was going on why did you want to do that or maybe the kid didn't but was in a bad position you had to just go pick him up it's like right. what happened so that you're having an age appropriate i always say age appropriate mm -hmm. adult or semi-adult conversation with your your youngster about whatever's gone on so that the person they feel heard because yep. So many times it's like, you know, be seen, not heard still is in effect for a lot of people because they're like, oh, what do you mean kids understand? Of course yeah. kids understand. Well, you screwed up at that party. You're going to be grounded for a month. And it's like you don't have their version of the story. Right. They could have just they didn't intend to be in that situation. Right. But things happen when kids get together. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Or the or the fear, you know, they had peer pressure and they had a drink and you can't beat them up. It's like, of course they did. Yeah. Because that's what they were involved in. And you have to have the discussion about how hard was it? Why was it hard? Yeah. Um, what would make it easier? What can I do to help it? You know, do you need to have safeties built in? Like have uh, that discussion instead of being yeah. belittling and uh, punitive to the, you know, I used to go out 
which was very rare because I, I avoided going away because in my household, the accusation before I even left the house was already in place. Yeah. I hadn't even, I haven't yeah. gone out the door and I could go somewhere and I, I mean, people smoke, right? I, I don't, I have asthma and never have, you know, occasional cigar, just saying, but <laughs> not in my, not yeah. in my youngsterhood because right. I was always deathly afraid of any kind of trouble I'd get in, but I was already being told that I was doing it before I left the house. So I, I oftentimes wouldn't bother to leave the house. And then when I would, and I come back and I would smell like something, it wasn't a discussion. It was, you did it, you, you're in trouble. And that I, and I had an emotional yummy on the other side that would talk to me and she'd be, she'd be the one that would be like, just ignore it. Don't worry. I believe you because she'd hear my story and I'd be like, I didn't do anything. All right. Time to wrap for today. Oh my goodness. Look at that. Look at you keeping me on track with such a good conversation today. I know. So um, anyway, so we had lots to talk about today, but uh, for anyone out there that is struggling with trauma or anxiety or depression or all of the above um, or hoarding or any or parenting issues, um, certainly there's lots of resources out there and, um, and therapy, uh, exercise, good eating habits, just taking care of yourself on even a little bit of a level that's maybe different today than yesterday um, would be good for you. Uh, and, and certainly you can reach out to any uh, of me and my uh, life coaches anytime. Have a great week and I will see you all next week.